Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Our study in the Gospel according to Mark has focused on Jesus as the servant of God and really understanding Jesus' life through that lens as a servant. Now, we have taken note that in the kingdom of God, life is lived in upside-down principles uh, from the world around us, where the world grasps for power and climbing the ladder is the goal of an individual. In the kingdom of God, becoming the servant of all is the call, and it is the glory of the servant to become the, the one who would serve anyone as the Father directs. Now, this servanthood is not drudgery for the believer. It's actually joy because it is the fulfillment of the Father's wishes. And that's what we're going to look at in this message today, that there is a joy that the servant experiences because he or she is serving the Father and, and bringing uh, joy to the Father through their servanthood. Now, many people marvel, for example, at the work that was accomplished by Mother Teresa of Calcutta as she served the lowest of the low in India. They marveled at how uh, she would go into the community and just help the least of these in, in really ways that nobody else had uh, in her time. And so that was their amazement with their ministry. But this was Mother Teresa's comment about their service, is that the miracle is not that we do this work, but that we are happy to do it. Did you catch her emphasis on that the real miracle wasn't the work itself that they were doing, it was the fact that they're actually happy to do it. As servants, Mother Teresa emphasized that their role was the joy of the Lord to be able to come alongside of those who were the least of these. And this is today's message. Our joy as a follower of Jesus Christ, our joy is found in serving the least of these because it brings joy to our Father. And so join with me in prayer as we prepare to look at Mark chapter 11 and we see how the Jesus had the joy of pleasing the Father. Lord, thank you for your word and that uh, it comes to us and it sparks life within us. And we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and ignite that fire within us, to hear your word and to be uh, overjoyed with it, to be empowered to live it and excited to then receive it deeply and, and work deeply into our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and bless it to our hearing and to our action. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark 11, verses 1 through 11, it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said them, to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. 
And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This interaction that's taking place, this celebration that's happening is known to us as Palm Sunday. Many of us refer to this as Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter Sunday that we typically celebrate this event by bringing in palm leaves or uh, shouting Hosanna about Jesus, the, the Savior has come. But here is the people, again, the context for this is the people are thinking, here's the king in the line of David. Here comes Jesus to overthrow the Romans, to establish his kingdom in our midst, to deliver us from the oppression of Rome. Blessed is he. The, the phrase just meaning, this is the one who's come. We're, we're excited for the one whom God is, is bringing. They're treating him like a hero. They're welcoming him as the one who is going to deliver them. Spreading the cloaks on the road. They're, they're coming in as recognizing themselves as servants to the king, putting down their cloaks, making the way for him to enter into Jerusalem. But here's the reality is that their joy over Jesus's life is misplaced. You won't see the same joy in just a few days as Jesus goes to the cross. You'll see them shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Their, their joy is just an exuberance over their own desires. It's not an exuberance over who Jesus is in reality. And so this is short-lived praise. This is the praise of men, and Jesus recognizes it. Jesus recognized that this is the acclaim of men, but it doesn't mean that it's the joy of the Father. The joy of the Father comes in a different place, not from Jesus accomplishing the will of men, but from accomplishing the will of the Father. So the next day uh, said that Jesus and the disciples left because it was late as they came to the temple. And so the next day, Jesus arrives with the disciples back into Jerusalem, Mark 11, verses 12 through 19. It says, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from your fruit uh, from you again. And his disciples heard it. Verse 15 says, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So in our previous story where Jesus enters in on Palm Sunday, he comes in, looks at the temple, 
and then goes back out to Bethany. The next day, it says on their way, they see this fig tree, Jesus expecting fruit or looking for fruit, finds none, and he curses the fig tree and continues on his way into Jerusalem. Arriving there, he sees all this commerce taking place within the temple, drives them all out and begins to teach them about what the temple is really meant for. The cursing of the fig tree, the first part we see in verses 12 through 14, it's really a parable enacted in real life. It's a storytelling, it's an illustration that Jesus is making by his actions. It was a condemnation of promise without fulfillment. It was Jesus seeing a tree that was showing that it would have fruit and yet there was nothing there. It was a hypocrisy in a sense. He was showing the results of pretense and hypocrisy, which always ends in a withering death. Jesus curses it and he says, nobody will ever eat anything from you again. This visual illustration for his disciples, because it says specifically that they saw it and they heard it. To make the connection, what he's about to walk into is a very real hypocrisy that's taking place in the temple. The buying and selling of merchandise in the midst of what's meant to be a place of worship. Jesus, in his own life, there's no pretense. There's no false front that he's bringing. He says, I'm bringing the kingdom of God and I'm bringing with it the life that the Father has given to me. I'm bringing it to you. And that's exactly what happens. In comparison to the fig tree, he says, this looks like there's life, but there's really nothing of fruit coming out of this tree. So he curses it. This servanthood that's all promise and no delivery is a servanthood that ends in disappointment, a crushing disappointment that the hope that somebody had actually delivered nothing. And Jesus calls it out strongly, not only in the fig tree, but he calls it out in the life of the scribes and the Pharisees who present something, but in the inside, as Jesus called it, whitewashed tombs, something well done, but in the inside, really nothing of substance, but death. At the transfiguration that we saw just a couple chapters ago in Mark chapter 9, the glory of God radiated from Jesus and he had this brightness as the sun just glowing before Peter, James, and John. And the voice that came from heaven declared, this is my beloved son, listen to him. This was an affirmation. Jesus is the real deal. There's no pretense again, no show with him. What they saw and what they heard is exactly who he was. And yet in the midst of this, he was never self-exalting. He was never looking for the praises of men. And so that's why when we look at Palm Sunday and all these shouts, these accolades, Jesus doesn't bend to their desires He's not moved by their wishes for him to establish an earthly kingdom. He is on focus with what he knows the Father wants for him. His joy is in the praises of his Father, not the praises of men and women around him. So this is where we come to the cleansing of the temple, verses 15 through 19. Jesus took to task those who were exploiting others. The selling of merchandise in the temple, you know, those who were close by could have brought their offerings along with them. But those who are traveling afar, those who maybe something had happened along the way, they needed something to bring to the temple. And so what could have been a service, an act of kindness, an act of generosity to bring to those who had need, 
It was instead an opportunity to gouge those who came and needed an offering, selling of pigeons as offerings before they go and make their sacrifice. And Jesus has no tolerance for it whatsoever. Instead of generosity, it becomes a place of greed, a place of taking advantage of others. Selling of sacrificial animals, it's exploitation and unfair advantage against those who had need versus those who were wanting to make a profit. What could have been an act of service becomes an act of greed. And Jesus recognizes it and he said, this is not what my father's house is about. My father's house is not to take advantage of those who are in a vulnerable place. But he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for all nations. And so he cleanses out the temple. He drives out the money changers, those who had turned God's house upside down for the purpose that God had desired. Instead, they're using it for their own greed. Greed and self-centeredness, their self-centered gain. These ideas are completely contrary to those of real service. As we've been studying throughout this series, real service says I'm going to come underneath and be willing to serve even the least of these, the poorest of the poor, those who don't have the money to make it an offering that they would like to make. And so Jesus addresses this. Service that pleased the Father was not religious pretense, nor was it self-centered opportunism, but rather it kept focus on the Father's purposes, the Father's honor. Jesus, just feeling so zealous for his Father's house, says, my, ha my Father's house is not a place for selling and, and taking advantage of people, but it is a house of prayer for all nations. So these two things we see with Jesus, he was not distracted by the desires and acclaim of people as he enters in Palm Sunday. He was not motivated by self-serving as those who were in the temple and looking for what they could get out of people. Instead, he was always pursuing the will and the glory of his father. What was best for the people that the father was asking him to serve. His joy was doing the father's will. And so I want us to hear this clearly. I want us to be really attuned to this. If doing the father's will is the joy of the servant, then there's most certainly going to come rejection by others that's going to come our way. Jesus understands this as he comes in to Palm Sunday all of these accolades are going to be changed to rejection. Why? Why does rejection come to those who want to do the will of the Father? Because the will of the Father often comes in contrast to the will of men and women and what their desires are. And so as he comes in the next time to the temple, he begins to confront those who are doing their own will and serving themselves versus, again, doing the will of the Father. And so this one who is receiving the praises of men now is beginning to build up his enemies, who is now beginning to enrage those who at once were cheering him are now upset with them because they're confront he's confronting their greed. He's confronting their lack of service by doing the will of the Father. 
And so we move from Mark 11 and, and chapters 12 and 13. There's a lot more teaching that takes place. I want to encourage you to go deeper in your study guide, which is available on our website, nhgj.org slash Sunday service, or you can pick it up here at our uh, location on site uh, during the week. So there's more teaching that takes place through those chapters, 12 and 13. And we come to chapter 14, where we clearly see that Jesus's goal is pleasing the Father. And what's going to happen as a result of that is his rejection by men. After being in Jerusalem and teaching and preparing the disciples for his death, he shares the Passover with them. And he foretells uh, the disciples of Judas's betrayal without specifically naming Judas. So they share this Passover meal, and then when they finish the Passover meal, they're ready to go out into the garden and begin to pray because his spirit is deeply troubled over this rejection and betrayal that he's about to experience. And so we pick up the story in Mark 14, verses 26 to 31, and this is recognizing the servant's rejection. It says in verse 26 of chapter 14, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. You know, this is the second greatest pain that Jesus is going to experience in his ministry. Of course, the first is his rejection at the cross as the father forsakes him, looks away because Jesus takes the sin of the world upon himself and he becomes the embodiment of sin in order so that he can overcome it. And so that rejection, of course, is the first. But this one, this is the rejection by his friends, his disciples, the one whom he has poured his life into. I want you to look with me for a moment at these most hurtful moments that Jesus has experienced just within the past couple days. It's before the Passover meal. He was anointed for his burial and Judas and the other disciples, but especially Judas, calls it a waste. Here's your master about to be crucified, and somebody is, Mary is lavishly pouring out her worship, and Judas's response, what a waste. I'm sure that cut to the heart of Jesus, recognizing they don't even think that he's worthy of the worship that she's pouring out on him. Then at the Passover itself, Judas joins him at the table, shares the cup, shares in the bread, and the breaking of bread at the Passover meal, right before betraying him with a kiss. They all leave the house, as we just read. They had sung a hymn together, sung a song of unity and, uh, at the Passover, and they walk to the garden. And then it's in this moment, Jesus tells them they're all going to betray him, and it's Peter who professes that Though everyone else is going to betray you, Jesus, I will never betray you. I will go to my death for you, Jesus. This is what Peter's saying. You know, before we pick on Peter, though, it said, and they all said the same. How hurtful that must have been to Jesus to hear those words, knowing that they felt it, but they weren't going to be able to follow through with it. 
Then he invites them to pray with him in verse 37. So he's praying and he's overwhelmed with grief and the thought of being uh, going to the cross and his separation from the Father. And so he returns to the disciples who are just a ways away. In verse 37, he returns from prayer to find them all asleep, needing encouragement, needing to be supported during this time of his suffering that's, that's imminent, that's just around the corner, and they're all sleeping. Listen, this doesn't just happen once. It happens two more times after this, three times in total. And the third time when he comes to wake them, he says, it's too late. The moment has come as Judas comes with the kiss of betrayal and those who would arrest Jesus. This happens two more times that they fall asleep and they're not there for him. And then finally, in this moment, as he's arrested, the guards take hold of Jesus. And remember, such a short time ago, it's Peter who's saying, they may desert you, I'll never desert you. And they all agree with him. Mark, in his recording of this moment, make sure that we see how utterly deserted Jesus was. We're left with these words from verse 50. And as it is presented before you, I want these words just to sit with you for a moment. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. And they all left him and fled. And they all left him and fled. Jesus understood that he was standing alone. He would go to the cross alone. That to accomplish the will of the Father, to follow through with his commitment, the joy of the cross, which is the obedience of the Father's will, Jesus knew that he would be alone. And yet he never gave up. He never surrendered to the will of men and he also never surrendered to bitterness and anger and resentment to mankind. He endured until the end. The bottom line, his bottom line was total surrender, total submission to the Father's will in which he delighted. He was serving not to receive responses from his followers or from the crowd who would lay down these palm branches and shout Hosanna. He was committed and his great joy was found in doing the will of the Father. You know, how many times do you and I say this or hear this, that you know who your true friends are when the hard times come and you're left with who's standing with you? Listen, there's times where you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, will find ourselves in obedience to the Father. If we're going to live for the joy of the Father, we're going to find ourselves alone all alone except for Jesus being with us. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Everybody else will be gone. Your family members will not be there. Your, your spouse, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your best friend, they're all gone. Only Jesus remains. And the question that's presented to us is, what happens to us in that moment? Do we continue on in obedience to the Father or do we give in to the will of those who are giving us accolades 
or who have committed to be with us, but find it difficult in this difficult spot. What happens to our servanthood to those whom we committed to after that moment when we found ourselves alone? Will you reject them because they were not there in your most difficult time? Or will you work through your own hurt and continue to love and to serve? Listen, the basis of Jesus' friendship with the disciples was not their loyalty and devotion. He had lost that. It was gone. They said it was there and then they all deserted him. His commitment to that friendship and his love to them was from his commitment to the Father, to love as the Father asked him to love, to serve as the Father had asked him to serve. His commitment was to love them, disappointments and all. Love them through all of the rejection. I want to just remind you there's some bad counsel out there for Christians it's the counsel of the world that says listen don't let them hurt you don't let don't allow people to get into your life and allow them to hurt you I want to suggest to you that's not the way of the kingdom if you're going to love like Jesus loves if you're going to serve as Jesus serves you're going to have to allow yourself to be hurt and disappointed by people in fact, I want to suggest if you're not somehow hurt or disappointed in the people that you love the most and that you care about, then it's quite possible you're not really loving the way that Jesus loves. Jesus was terribly hurt by his friends, deserted, left alone, and yet his response wasn't to reject them in return and to push them away, but instead to find a pathway back to restore them to relationship. The reason he was able to do this is because his joy was to please the Father, not to please them. This is where we get it twisted and flipped around, is the reason we feel the need to reject people if they disappoint us is because we were, we were dependent on them to bring us joy, to bring us comfort, to, to bring us what we wanted through those difficult times. And while friendship is something that you want to invest one with another, we see the pattern in Jesus as the way to live out this friendship. The Father comes first. His acceptance, pleasing Him, His will comes first. And when we're accepted by Him, it makes it so much easier to accept others, even if they've rejected us, even if they've disappointed us. Jesus' joy was to please the Father, not to give something from people. So we've looked at two things in this message. We've looked at the servant's joy. And for Jesus, it wasn't pleasing the crowds. His joy wasn't in getting accolades from people, but it was for doing the Father's will, which he demonstrated when he came in and overturned tables and he brought back that image of what the Father wanted for his house, for the temple, a house of prayer for all nations. He demonstrated his joy by not alienating the disciples, but continuing to walk with them all the way up until their rejection of him and his time on the cross. And even so, encouraging them after his resurrection, restoring Peter to the point of saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, as he restored Peter as one of his disciples and the others as well. And so this is his joy, pleasing the father. 
Recognizing that if we're going to please the Father, if that's going to be our joy, that means we're going to experience rejection by men and women. We're going to be experiencing rejection by those who are closest to us, our closest friends, our closest family members, because we're choosing to do the will of the Father over the will of others. And in doing so, that means that we're called, we have to be anchored in the love of God so that we can continue to love those who don't stand with us instead of rejecting them and pushing them away, instead of closing ranks and becoming a very small circle. And with this, I wanna, I wanna finish this message. I wanna ask you as you're watching this, out of hurt and disappointment, have you closed ranks in your life? At one point in your life, did you have love for so many more people and friendships and so much more accepting, but the more that you felt rejected or hurt or left alone, you started separating them off one by one, dividing out people, whether they were with you or not with you, and the closing of ranks down to where now there's just so few in your circle. I wanna invite you today to ask the Holy Spirit to bring healing, to invite Jesus to teach you to love again the way you once loved people, to be willing to risk hurt, to be willing to risk rejection. Now that doesn't mean that you continually live with no boundaries with people, that you allow them to disrupt your life and the peace that Christ has brought? No, it means that you have to be all the more focused in your relationship with God. You have to know what God wants. You have to be anchored in his love for you and your identity in him. Because when you have that, nobody can steal that from you. And the disappointments that you experience, your circle doesn't have to close in. It can actually remain and in fact broaden out Rejection doesn't have to mean the closing off of family members. It can mean that you begin to soften your heart towards people just as Jesus did. And you make room for restoration. You make room for healing to come to those whom you at one time felt rejection and disappointment in. I believe God wants to do it. I believe he can do it. All things are possible if we believe that God can work those points of healing in our life. The joy set before him, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. One day as you follow Jesus, one day when we stop counting the days and looking at the calendar and Jesus comes for us, and we experience that face-to-face -face relationship, we too will say, you know, Lord, thank you that I look to the cross, I look to the fulfillment of your will and your purposes in my life, and that I looked at it with joy, even the most difficult and painful moments that I saw you in the midst of it, and it allowed me to love people, even though maybe they weren't with me the way that I had hoped. And we too will enter into that glory and experience the joy of his presence, knowing that our heart is full of love for God and love for other people. God bless you as you do it. God bless you as the Holy Spirit empowers you to live it out. As you 
seek the joy of the Father and find your delight in accomplishing his will and as you love others, even though you find rejection, even though you experience isolation or aloneness at times, that your circle isn't ever decreasing, but it continues to grow by the grace of God. God bless you. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.